0: 5 through 56. Please stand for the reading of God's Word. Immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. When they had crossed over, they came to land at Gennesaret and moored to the shore. And when they got out of the boat, the people immediately recognized him and ran about the whole region and began to bring the sick people on their beds to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he came, in villages, cities, or countryside, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and implored him that they might touch even the fringe of his garment. And as many as touched it were made well. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, Over the uh, past couple of years, a number of undercover athlete videos have emerged on YouTube. It's kind of the same idea as Undercover Boss, right? We're familiar with that show perhaps. But these involve professional athletes showing up in disguise to either a pickup game or a lower level uh, practice of some kind with the goal of shocking these other people until the identity of the professional athlete is finally revealed. and one recent one involved Jared Goff, who is quarterback of the Los Angeles Rams. He was undercover as a transfer student to a small college in Ventura, California. So he shows up at this football practice and he's wearing a wig. He's got a fake mole on, I'm not sure how that helped, but apparently that was key. Uh, he had a bunch of fake tattoos, he had a fake name, of course. And then he just blew all these kids away with his arm strength and his accuracy. The kids were told, "Hey, all these cameras. You know, the coach had said, all the cameras are here because they're doing a documentary on transfer students, right? And those kids had obviously not seen Undercover Boss because after the first episode of Undercover Boss, everybody should have understood everything that was going on. Bottom line is, these kids didn't have a clue until the coach called Jared Goff forward at the end of practice. Now, imagine for a second with me that Jared Goff had pulled the same stunt at a community college in a different part of the state the year before. And an actual transfer student had transferred from that community college to this college in Ventura, California where Jared Goff was pulling this stunt. You would think that that student would immediately recognize what was going on and say, hey guys, that's Jared Goff. Something similar should have been happening with the disciples on the boat All the disciples had seen Jesus do miraculous things before. One of them should have said, Guys, (laughs) come on, that's Jesus. But they all failed to recognize Him. There they were in the middle of this great storm, and they failed to recognize who was with them, and consequently, they were afraid. Now, the the crowd on the shore recognized him instantly. They were all in the middle of a different kind of storm. They were all sick. They were all in desperate need of healing and of help. But they recognized Jesus and responded in faith. And that is the key difference between recognizing Jesus and failing to recognize Jesus in the middle of a storm. It's the difference between fear and faith. Is the difference between taking heart and losing heart. So, what I want to look at briefly this morning is this contrast between the disciples and the crowd, a contrast that has everything to do with recognizing Jesus. And then I want to ask and answer two questions. First, how is Jesus with us now? And then, secondly, what can we do to better recognize him in the midst of all our storms? All right, first, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're thankful for this portion of your word, for preserving it for us down to this very day. And we do pray, O God, that you would help us learn more concerning who your Son is and how he is with us now. And Lord, help us to begin by your grace and with your help to employ those means of grace that you have provided so that we might better see who is always with us in the midst of every storm. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so the contrast between the uh, disciples and the crowd, I'm calling it as a contrast in Christ recognition. Contrast in Christ recognition. The disciples failed to recognize Christ and they responded in fear. Now, first, just recognize the irony here they are in the storm because they were obeying Jesus. Jesus said, guys, I need you to get into the boat. And the text is actually even more insistent. Jesus is insisting, guys, get in the boat. I'm going to stay here. And they probably were thinking, yeah, we know you're going to go pray because that's what you always do in times like this. But guys, get in the boat and start making your way across. So they are obeying Jesus. And as a result, they're facing great... Difficulty. They're in the boat because they're following Jesus. A storm, uh, you know, s- blows up into the into the sea where they were. Um, they were making difficult headway. You know, the text tells us they were essentially uh, rowing all night because the uh, fourth watch is between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. Uh, another gospel account, I believe, it's the Gospel of John, tells us that they had made it three to four miles offshore. That was it. So they have been struggling all night long. They probably knew Jesus was up on that mountain praying. And they may have been thinking, why is he up there when we need him here? Things can get difficult when you follow Jesus. It may feel like you're making little progress in your lives spiritually. Right? When am I going to change? When am I finally going to see growth in my life? The strong headwinds of trials and temptations keep revealing how much sin still clings so closely in my life. It feels like I'm making little headway in my relationships, my relationship with my spouse or with my kids or, or whatever the case may be. And, of course, you've got two people now together who are dealing with strong headwinds of sin in their own life trying to work things out together. You know? You're seeking to serve God in your work. And so you 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 face nothing but trials and difficulty there as well, nothing but toil. You you go into ministry, Lord. I'm I'm ready to, to take the world in your name, to go overseas and do anything you would have me do, and you experience nothing but fruitlessness rather than fruit, as you would hope to see. And it may be that you wonder, as I often wonder. Lord, why are you up there when I need you down here? I'm going to come back to that at the end. But let's come back to this text and just notice the clues about Jesus' identity that are all over the passage. The most obvious one is, right, he walked on water. And that's just, boom, it's right there in the text, But there's also more subtle clues. Now, these more subtle clues are not ones that I'm saying they should have gotten. Please don't hear me say that. That's putting too much of a burden on the disciples. But as we read the text now, you know, (laughs) on dry land, we're we're able to see certain clues to who this was that was on on the sea, walking on the sea, coming out to them in the storm. First of all, you know, there's the fact that they were three to four miles out from shore. And it was dark. And I don't think it would have been a full moon because there was a storm. And yet, Jesus could see them. Could see that they were struggling. And then, of course, He walks out on the water. The the text tells us, though, that He, it says, intended, He meant to pass by them. Now, that's in the end of verse 48. And you might look at that and say, well wait, he actually wasn't trying to go to help them? I don't think that's the case, and and really no commentators think that's the case. After all, if he intended to pass by them, why pass by them so close? So that they could see him. Rather, what you see here, and again, this isn't something the disciples should have been able to see because the text hadn't even been written yet. (laughs) But as you read the text, especially in the Greek, you find... That the same word that's translated "pass by here in Mark chapter 6 is the Greek word that was translated in the Greek translation of the Old Testament "pass by at a place like, for instance, Exodus 33 and Exodus 34, when we're told that the Lord God passed by Moses at that time of his great self-disclosure concerning who he was, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And again, they couldn't have seen that. But we can, reflecting on Scripture now, this little hint, this little clue, you see the same Greek word translating in the Greek version of the Old Testament, that place in 1 Kings chapter 19 where God passes by Elijah. Well, Elijah is hidden in the cleft of the rock. This is God. On the sea with the disciples. There's also perhaps in the word take heart, it is I, in verse 50, in that those two words translated it is I is actually ego a me, which in the Greek means I am. Take heart, I am. Now again, they would have heard it is I because those were the two words that were also used to commonly self-identify. And, you know, Jesus knew that they were wondering who is this out on the sea. And so again, it's just a little subtle hint that we can pick up. This is the I am. Jesus acknowledged that he is the I am. In another place, in John chapter 8, I believe it is, Jesus said, before Abraham was, ego a me, I am. There, without doubt, Jesus is saying, I am the I am. The I am that revealed himself to Moses at the burning bush in Exodus 3, that's me. The I am that led the people out of Egypt through the sea and through the wilderness, that's me. Jesus is the I am but they failed to recognize Jesus. Why? Well, the text tells us in verse 52, they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. What should they have understood about the loaves? Well, remember, last week, Jesus multiplied the bread and multi- multiplied the fish. They had the five loaves and the two fish, and it was enough to, re- to feed I mean, 5,000 men with, with kids and, and wives. It would have been 8,000, 10,000 or more. Only God can do that. Take, or you know, the, the stuff of the Earth that is there and make more of it from nothing. They should have known the lesson from Mark chapter 4 when Jesus came out to them in the midst of another storm and calmed the storm. And they said, who is this who even can the wind and the waves obey him? It is God. The lesson of the loaves that they failed to learn is that Jesus isn't just a great teacher. He's not just, you know, a a guy who can, can pull off some cool miracles because God has somehow blessed him. He is God. Why didn't they see that? Well, Mark tells us their hearts were hard. Jesus will confront them about this in Mark chapter 8. He will say to them, Guys, didn't you understand? I can't wait to get to Mark chapter 8, that passage where where Jesus confronts them again and is like, Guys, how how do you not know this by now? How is it that you don't understand who I am? Do you not yet perceive? Have you not remembered? It's Mark chapter 8, verse 18. Bottom line, the disciples had enough to go on. They did. Their inability to recognize Jesus revealed that they had not reflected much on what they had seen to date. Or you could say, their eyes were more on their predicament than they were on His presence. Well, what about the crowd? Well, just real quick. I mean, they immediately recognized Jesus. They responded to Him in faith. Now, their faith was incomplete. It wasn't well informed. You know, they thought if we could just touch the the hem of His garment, we can be healed. And, And Jesus met them there because He knew what they were really focused on was Him, the one inside the garment, Jesus. And so they responded. In faith, both the disciples and the crowd were facing storms. The key to their response, whether fear or faith, rested on re- whether they recognized the one who was with them. So, two questions: How is Jesus with us now, and what can we do to better recognize Him? First question: How is Jesus with us now? And the answer of Scripture is by His Spirit through His Word. I'm just going to touch on this real quick. By His Spirit, Jesus promised His disciples in Matthew chapter 28 verse 20. I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. And yet, in Acts chapter 1, verse 9, what happens? Zoop! Jesus ascends into heaven. How is it that this can both be true? How how do you reconcile these realities that Jesus is present with the Father now and yet somehow present with His people now as well? By His Spirit, through His Word. Jesus said, I'm sorry, Peter tells us in Acts chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, it was Jesus who ascended and poured out the Spirit. In Acts chapter 5 and Acts chapter 8, the Spirit is actually referred to as the Spirit of the Lord. In Romans chapter 8 and 1 Peter 1, again I'm blown through these, the Spirit of Christ the Holy Spirit is referred to as the Spirit of Christ. Now, I'm not saying that the Holy Spirit and Jesus are somehow you know, meshed together so that they're of the same essence. It's that their work is so intertwined. The Spirit pointing to the person and work of Christ. Christ, the one who has poured out the Spirit. that We can say it's as if they're one. Which is why when you go read 2 Corinthians chapter 3, you see Paul saying things like, the Lord is the Spirit. It's through the Spirit given to His church that Jesus is present with His people. And the testimony of the Spirit is preserved for us in the Bible. And so Jesus said to His disciples in John chapter 16, The Spirit that I give you will guide you into all the truth. All the truth, what? All the truth that I have taught you concerning Myself from all the Old Testament. And so the... Peter, the Apostle Peter, can tell us that how did people write the Bible? Well, in first, Second Peter chapter 1, that it was written by men who spoke from God as carried along by the Spirit. So here's Jesus giving His Spirit, by which He is present with His people, and telling the Spirit what to tell the disciples to write so that we have the Word of Jesus Christ with us in the very Word of God That is the Bible. How do we know Jesus? How do we know who he is? How do we know what his will is for our lives? How is it that we know he is with us? To comfort us. To guide us. To help us. By his spirit. Which has been poured out upon his church. And indwells every Christian believer. Through his word. So what can we do to better recognize Jesus? And the first is the most obvious. Reflect on his word. Reflect on his word. Word. I use the word reflect intentionally, not just because everything else I'm about to say starts with R. Honestly. It is because we don't just read, we reflect, we meditate on what we're reading, we take it in. We, you know, to use Old Testament language, eat this word. We take it into our hearts. We meditate on it. We think about it. And the Holy Spirit within us uses that. Secondly, we remember Jesus' identity. We remember that He is the I Am. And wonder of wonders, He says, the I Am says, I will be with you always. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. That's Hebrews chapter 13. Reflect on his word, remember his identity. Third, rely on his promises. This is what happens in the midst of the storm. The, the, the reflecting on his identity, the, the reflecting on his word and remembering his identity, that, that happens outside the storm, right? We do those things and so that when the storm blows up, we're able to call to mind and rely on his promises. That is the key to Christ's recognition in the midst of storms. It's taking the word of Christ with the help of the Spirit of Christ into the center of your being. So it's there when the pressure comes. And then fourth, rest in His grace. Jesus is so gracious in this passage. I mean, think about it for a second. He does not stand out on the sea and say to his disciples, you know what, I'm not getting in the boat to figure this out. <laughs> he got in the boat. He didn't say to them, guys, you should have known this by now. He got in the boat. He saw they needed help. He got in the boat. They were astounded. They still didn't get it. They didn't, wouldn't get it for some time at least. He got in the boat. And what about the crowd, right? I mean, the crowd... Their theology was all wrong. And Jesus did not say, you know what? When you get your theology right, I'll come to your aid. What did Jesus need? He needed simple faith. Just a simple willingness to trust Him and to welcome Him in. Jesus will be gracious to you you don't have to have it all figured out. Now, this isn't an excuse for theological laziness. Don't hear that. You know me well enough to know I'm never going to say that. <laughs> but what it is, is simply an assurance, a comfort to know that Jesus doesn't stand back and say, you know what, when you figure it out, when you've done enough self-reflection so that you can really see how messed up you are, and when you've done enough reflection on my words so that you can really understand who I am, then I will come to your aid. Jesus knows that in order for those two things to happen, he has to come to our aid first. And so all he's looking for is simple faith. Simple trust in him just a willingness to welcome him. So earlier I said, you know, we sometimes feel, why is Jesus up there when we need him down here? The disciples may have felt that way. Why is Jesus with the Father up there on the mountain when we need him here to help us in the midst of the storm? And the good news for us is that Jesus is up there. He rose from the dead, he ascended to the right hand of the Father in heaven. He is interceding for us even now. So Paul tells us in Romans chapter 8 verse 9, Jesus sees. He knows. He prays. But he is also with us now by his spirit. He is both there and here. And so we can trust his promise that he will in fact be with us always even to the end of the age. So for our part, we fix our eyes on Jesus, laying aside every sin and weight that clings so closely. We fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, and yet our comfort comes from knowing Jesus has always got his eye on us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this portion of your word again, and we pray that by Your Spirit, You would seal these truths to our heart. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.